Thanks for downloading the 18th in our series of episodes of the C-Suite podcast that we're recording in partnership with the European PR agency Taito and their own Without Borders podcast, where we are interviewing leaders of unicorn companies to find out about the key issues, pain points and challenges that startups face and how they can address them with a strategic approach to marketing and communications. My name is Russell Goldsmith and my co-host for this series of interviews is Taito's founder, Brendan Craigie. And um, today we are thrilled to be joined online from San Diego by Zeb Evans, founder and CEO of the customizable workplace productivity platform, ClickUp. Uh, founded in 2017, ClickUp raised $100 million in a Series B funding round in December 2020, reaching a $1 billion valuation. Uh, welcome to the show, Zeb. We'd love to start by uh, hearing your company's origin story, and perhaps uh, you can give us a little bit more detail on what a customizable workplace productivity platform offers your clients. For sure. Thanks Thanks for having me, Russell and, and Brendan. So the backstory on ClickUp, and it also explains kind of what, what it is and what the premise behind it is, that I've been an entrepreneur since I was born. And so I've always been creating businesses. In college, I went to school for, for a year and a half, and I actually built a kind of a social media automations platform before that stuff existed, where you could automate your, your tweets ahead of time and automate actions that you're performing manually, and it actually added reporting uh, before the APIs existed to do that. And so I built that largely myself when I learned how to code on the side. And that's where my dance with project management software started. So we started with Basecamp when it was just myself. And then at the end of, of that company's life cycle, we were about 70 people. And we were and we still had Basecamp, but we also had Jira for engineering. Uh, we had Asana for lists. We had Trello for boards. We had approvals software. We had Evernote. We had Google Sheets. We had Google Docs. We had Todoist for personal reminders. Uh, we had Slack and, and Skype. So it was this mess of productivity applications. It was, it was literally 15 of them. And it, they're named productivity applications. So they should be saving you time, right? They should be making you more productive. And I could not help but feel I was always less productive by using so many different applications. And so long story short, we created ClickUp as an internal tool to, to solve those problems when I was going to work on something completely different, a Craigslist competitor. And through that journey of really just four or five weeks, we realized that there was much more to do in this industry and, and this mission, and that our mission for saving ourselves time and making ourselves more productive is much better served as, as a world mission of making everybody more productive um, and saving people time. And so that's largely what ClickUp still is today. It's a platform where you can replace all of your workplace productivity software with one, uh, where you can work with your teams on projects, tasks, docs, goals, keep everybody aligned and on the same page. It's really exciting. I love the tag line as well around the you know one app to rule them all it kind of really says it all i'm just thinking obviously about those early days were there any decisions that you made that looking back in hindsight have proven to be vital for the success of the business early on we always wanted to be unopinionated in the way that we built software so generally speaking a few years ago the consensus, at least in silicon valley was do one thing and do it well uh, and also focus on a vertical right? focus on a market a niche and we never wanted to do that because our, our premise, our whole mission was replacing all those separate pieces of software. And our thesis was that you have to use so many different pieces of software because they're inflexible, because they're so opinionated in the way that you work, and because they've taken that philosophy of just do one thing and do it well. So you have to have 15 pieces of software. And so that was the biggest, I, I think, decision that we made early on, and we relentlessly stayed with it, is is to build very flexible software that works from teams to two to 2,000 and to be able to break down those barriers of different departments. Usually you have different software for engineering versus marketing versus creative versus operations and HR, you have applicant tracking. And so 
again, it was always, always, always our main focus was building unopinionated software that worked for, for everybody. And, and that's what we relentlessly focused on early on. You, you obviously have this very clear promise that you make to people on your website about saving um, a day every week. It's kind of like a guarantee that you offer. How does the, the platform do that? You know, is it, is it as simple as just consolidating all of those different things into one app? How do you manage to achieve that? And, and how did you arrive at that number? So the, you know, the general philosophy behind it, it is replacing several applications naturally is much more efficient than switching and context switching. You don't know where to find things. You don't know what people are working on. Um, you don't know where to put things. And you certainly don't know priority of, of tasks. And so we found when you have one platform, one single source of truth for all of your work, rather than, than several of them, you, there's this natural time efficiency that, that is, is saved. This, this number is based on surveys that we send, send to customers before and after using ClickUp. Um, but we're actually doing a really cool, more in-depth survey now. We got an outside firm doing it for, for a real quantitative analysis to really get down into the minutes of, of time that's saved. It's not easy to measure, but this is, is self self-admitted data that we have from, from our own customers. From another perspective, it, it's it's much more efficient, not only when you're using one platform, but when you have a platform that is flexible for the way that you work. So instead of having to, for you to accommodate the platform, meaning you have to change the way that you work, change your workflows in order to adapt to the way the software works, it's it's the opposite of ClickUp. It's, it's you come to us and the software works for the way that, that you want to work. And so that also has this natural time efficiency um, associated with it, which which is is our main mission, is, is saving people time. If I could just ask kind of like a follow-up on that, because we're... Um... I run a PR agency. So as you can imagine, we have a myriad of these different tools to ourselves. And then obviously we kind of work with clients who also have a myriad of different tools. What If you're looking to consolidate some of those tools into ClickUp, what, what would you say is like the low hanging fruit? What things do you think ClickUp most easily consolidates and, and replaces? Yeah. All of your project management software, for sure. That that's kind of like the day one or day zero thing that that customers and users usually come to it, to us with is usually you have to use more than one project manager software. So that's the easiest part to get to get started. What we end up seeing is we'll either see adoption from the top of the funnel for things like docs, like knowledge bases, wikis, um, OKR goals, time tracking workload management software, resource management software. Sometimes those are the entry points into our software. But a lot of times that's that's the ecosystem that you start replacing. So you start replacing project management software, then you branch into docs, then you branch into goals, then you branch into resource management and people management. And then there's a plethora of, of tools if you use them for, for something like an agency. I imagine you use time tracking and, and timesheets and and things of that nature. And so we we replace those things as as well. So our you know our, we don't we don't necessarily want people replacing everything day one. That can be very challenging and it, it Unless you're a really small company, it's it's not practical to to experience change management like that. So we always coach on like replace one thing one thing at a time, and I think that's that's usually the best way to go. Zeb, I mentioned at, at the top of the show the hundred million you know uh, Series B got you to unicorn status. That came quite soon after the the thirty five million you'd previously raised in in the Series A funding round. Obviously, investors are keen to find winners in this productivity software space. But what do you think makes you stand out from from the crowd? I think from the from the beginning that that whole thesis around building very uh, unopinionated software has has done us well in this in this industry. When you look at the industry right now, you have you have very opinionated solutions, um, things like Jira, things like Asana, but then you also have no opinion software, right? Which is essentially no code software. So if you think of you know Notion or Airtable, maybe Coda also can be classified there. 
And so you have these polar opposites of the spectrum where as we capture everything in between, our opinion is that you're using our software for work. And so we provide a bunch of really efficient work tools that can save you time and make you more productive and connect your team. Whereas on the no-code software, you have to try and build those things. And what we have seen is that isn't efficient and, and, and customers don't actually like doing that. It's really cool for like personal use. You know, and, and maybe a couple of people on, on the team side, but it just doesn't practically scale with with a company, and it and it certainly doesn't replace the rest of your software. It may replace your doc software, but but not everything else. Um, and so I think that's a huge differentiator between us is that we can actually replace your doc software, but we also can play, replace your very opinionated project management software. Um, we also can replace your OKR software and your time tracking software, and all of that stuff. Um, in one. And so even today, when you look at, and, and actually lots of our customers replace replace um, Slack and Microsoft Teams with, with, with ClickUp, although we'll be having more of those those real, more, I think, meaty features in, in the next the next few months. Um, and so when you look at the ecosystem today, you know, we're, we're that only platform that has all those four pillars of, of work, tasks, docs, goals, and chat in, in one place. And, and that's, that's that fundamental difference between us and the other players. Okay. And, and what about, you know, given the theme of the series of interviews that we're doing, you know, once you achieved that unicorn status, did, did it change the perception of, of the business in any way? You know, I think raising in general, there's a couple of good things that, that can come with it. And I, I wouldn't raise just to do these things, but, but certainly hiring and, and that halo effect happens where you're able to at least attract more top tier talent. I think there, you know, there's an argument you made both both ways. If you can build a very, very sustainable business without raising, I, I don't necessarily advocate for it, especially if you're in not a very competitive industry. If you're in a very competitive industry, you kind of need to if there's other competitors that, that are raising around you. And I think that that forced our hand a little bit. But yeah, I mean, there, you know, hiring, I think, is 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 one of the biggest things that that I discounted before raising is you just have access to better talent and you do have that attractiveness from from candidates, especially you know, the classic Silicon Valley candidates that the, the leaders there that care about signaling, that that care about those those growth metrics and care about those investors that are are going to take big big bets on you. Obviously, for all of us, it's been a different kind of period with the rise of remote work. And I'm imagining that that's been kind of very um, big driver for your business. But just out, yeah, out of curiosity, how have the past 18 months been for you as a as a business leader? working potentially more remotely and then what impact has it had on your business you know fortunately we build software that helps people stay connected remote or in, in office and so we've we've been pretty well set up for the foundation since day one for, for working remotely we even pre prior to covid we were about 50 percent remote today we're, we're roughly 60 percent remote so we're very similar pre-covid and, and post-covid as as to at least our, our own internal operations go um, and we've always been very flexible with, with remote work so, so honestly, it, it you know, it, it certainly you lose that connection. I think that the hardest thing to scale remotely is culture and connection, and and that's what we we focus on more than, than than work and more than knowing if people are if you're hiring the right people, they're going to get the work done regardless if they're working at home or if they're they're working uh, in the office. Now, there are certain roles that we believe and that we've heard from from our employees that are more important to be in office. Things like creative roles. Right? It's really hard being creative on a Zoom call. That's that's the reality. And so we've seen we've seen those employees want to really get back to the office. Whereas engineering, as I think you probably assume, most of them actually prefer working remotely. They prefer kind of being heads down in the zone. And and so we just firmly believe you know everyone's different and, and that's what we're we're accommodating for post COVID. I think that makes a, a lot of sense. I, I guess it's been a little bit of time since you had that big raise. What's kind of the priorities for the second half of the of, of 2021? We're about 75% of the way there on our vision for what ClickUp 
is. And so I think this this next six months or so, we'll be close to realizing that that full vision. There, there's a couple of big pieces of the ecosystem that we don't have today and that we will have in, over the next few months. One, one of them I can mention is, is virtual whiteboarding. That's a, a big piece of the productivity ecosystem that is very complementary to our software today. And so we see the vision for the future of, again, all of your work in one place. And this one app for a place small, we naturally have to have to be able to, to capture that market share. But also more so, we think that it saves people time putting that instead of having to go back and forth between your whiteboarding software and ClickUp and copying, pasting tasks and and keeping everybody in, on different pages, we can we can have that same efficiency gain and that same saving people time gain from putting your virtual whiteboarding solution there. So that's just one of those things uh, among a, f- a few others that we'll be releasing towards the later stage of the year. And, and also, we've been largely company has grown you know very 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 quickly we grew from from roughly 60 to, to 600 or so employees in, in a year and so during that some things break down and one of those those things was hiring engineering um, our engineering team is is my, small and mighty today uh, much smaller than I think people would think on the outside and so we're playing a little bit catch up there making sure you know that we stay ahead on the engineering side hiring a lot more engineers um, and having that maintainability and focus on reliability and quality in addition to shipping features. Are you able to sort of share how many people you've got in the team and, and, and what your aim to grow to is? Yeah, on the engineering side, we've got about 40, 40 people on the engineering team. And so, you know, rough at, at, a, at a traditional kind of tech company, you'd really want closer to, to 50% in, in R&D, whereas, you know, we're, we're roughly 10%. If you add in product there, you know, we're 15, 20%, but we're, we're still, you know, objectively behind in, in hiring targets there. I caught up one of your um, interviews before, and it was kind of interesting listening to some of your philosophies and around maybe having having more engineers doesn't necessarily mean more output. Yep. Uh, I'm assuming because people can tread on their toes and you know, like, kind of hold things back. So, so I thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's it's. I, I will say so. So early on, I think you should try to get by with as little engineers as as possible. But the reality is, if if you had, and we did, we had one person owning the whole backend infrastructure. Now, the, the the downside to that, the risk of that, is that you have one person owning the whole backend infrastructure. If you lose that person, you know, you can be screwed in many ways. So you're taking a bet. But maybe if you have two people there, they're going to have extreme ownership of everything. They'll be com- much more committed. But also, it's just it's so much more efficient having one person own own it all at least early on. And then on you know the front end side, even we only had a couple of engineers there at, at first. Now this I'm talking really, really, really early on. But you actually can move much quicker um, when you mm-hmm. have somebody that knows the entire system from from start to finish, and they built the entire system. That doesn't scale indefinitely. Obviously, it does not scale in, in, indefinitely. And so at a certain point, you do have to hire more, more engineers. But I would not advocate for starting, you know, going out and starting a software company, raising a bunch of money and hiring 20 en- engineers right off the bat. It's going to be slower than a small, you know, four or five person team, much slower than a four or five person team. The difference is once you start scaling, once you start growing, you do have to, to build those teams back and put people into pods and have you know, infrastructure teams and DevOps teams. And, and so you don't get me wrong, you definitely have to scale at, at, at some point, but but certainly early on as, as few engineers as possible is is much better. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. So obviously one of the kind of big themes for this podcast is talking around communications and culture. I picked up on a few a few things that you've said in the past around culture. And obviously that's kind of, I think, something that's very important to you. But um, what's been your approach to building awareness of the business and, and differentiating yourself in 
I think what you kind of have pointed out is a very competitive space. We've always focused on organic and we had to from the beginning. We were, we were bootstrapped. You know, we, we were bootstrapped much, much longer than any of our competitors, really. You know, we, we bootstrapped to, to, to really extreme profitability, uh, you know, a year or so ago when, when we first raised. And so when we did that, and, and I, I advocate for doing that as, as, as long as you can to and raise as little funds as possible if, if you're not able to, to bootstrap because you will have an extreme focus on the product, an extreme focus on the customer things that matter rather than just trying to build teams as fast, as fast as you can. There's a time and place for that, but that's after you have a product market fit. I, I think on the organic side to get back to, to your first question is if you can build an organic engine around you, then you don't necessarily need paid paid marketing up front. And so that's what we were focused on. And, and you have to punch up. Your branding has to appear much larger than you are early on. So I can't advocate enough for like, an it's it's hard because it's so design is subjective, but there are people that are exceptional, and those are the one percent or or less of of designers, honestly, that are exceptional designers and design leaders. You've got to find one of those people, and he or her has to be able to to make your brand appear much larger than you are. I think that is a huge key that a lot of people miss, and early on, it matters more than anything. And if you can do that, and you can also acquire customers organically, you know, then then you can you can punch up and you can start you can start getting into an industry that you know largely is made up of of huge competitors and and that's that's what we did at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree. I think that makes a, a lot of sense. Um, in terms of kind of culture, you've talked about the fact that your business is growing at an incredible speed, going from sixty to six hundred people. How do you build a culture that you can be proud of? When, when you're moving that quickly, how do you ensure that the culture is growing in a way that you want it to grow? It's it's something that I worried about a lot. I, I worried about it a year ago when we started scaling because everybody talks about how the culture is going to break down. You know, you can't scale forever. Today, we still we've been able, been able to scale it. I, I think largely because if you if you make the right hires, then they hire the right people also. So as long as you know what your culture is, and I think culture can be overused in, in, in many senses um, for people that just want to like create a culture to create a culture. You've got to really understand what your, what your culture is. And you, and you don't want to just make something up to, to make it up. We've always been optimistic people that want to grow. That's our single sentence that distills us. And we look for those two things. We look for optimism and we look for growth. And it's it sounds simple, sounds dumb, but those two things are very, those common factors that all employees at ClickUp have. And it, it makes for a really great environment to work in. And it also makes for one that you can have fun with people. You know, you, you can joke with people. You can have a bunch of laughs. We, we, we do every, every single day. But we're also very serious when it com- comes to our work, probably even more serious than other companies. But we're also more playful than other companies at the same time. And so if you can have those, those two, it, they really balance e- each other out. And, and we've been able to scale that so far. And, and I hope we'll be able to, to scale that in, in, indefinitely. Um, we also have... Every month, I, I have a core values talk where we talk about our core values. We actually just had one this morning, right before this, and we 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 changed a couple of our core values. We 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 reevaluate them every quarter based on where we are, and we'll make little changes. We'll also make big changes, and so those types of things keep culture and core values front of mind for people. We also have core value awards every month, so we we recognize. You know, the top several people in the company that were exhibiting our core values, we give them more equity in the company, we give them a raise, and, and we give them recognition in front of everybody so that, so that we celebrate um, our scaling our culture. Are those talks with the with the whole company? Yep, they're all hands. Okay, no, because it kind of leads quite nicely onto, you know, one of the questions we wanted to ask about internal comms, because, you know, as you're growing, you've got this need to still talk one-on-one in, with individuals, you've got different parts of the company and the teams, you've then got the entire team that, that you want to talk to. And I'm guessing they're getting more and more geographically spread. And, and also, as 
you know, obviously we've talked about remote working, particularly over the, you know, the, the course since, since the pandemic. So how are you managing all that? Yeah, internal comms is is challenging. It's something that I think you always, at least at least what we did was we didn't we didn't hold it on a high enough pedestal as far as like we actually didn't really think about internal comms at first. Now you're naturally doing a lot of it, but you don't think of it as a function. You don't think of it as like an initiative that you have to have. And once we started doing that, I think employees felt much more connected. Especially, I, I think what what drove us to start doing that is COVID. Uh, where we we knew that we needed to create that connection with people. So, so just to give you some examples, you know, we, we definitely do we do an all hands every Tuesday with the entire company, and every single person is is on that call. We try to be flexible with time zones. If you can't make it, then you know that, that's the exception, and and you can watch it async. But at least everybody watches it. Uh, we also do we do coffee breaks every day where, where the whole company, if you want to, or if you don't have a meeting, you come in and you can jump in a Zoom and breakout room and get to talk to people. We do biweekly random kind of meetings with, with people. So you'll, you'll be meet, meeting with somebody random in your department just to get to know them because largely, you know, you haven't gotten one-on-one FaceTime with, with a lot of people. Uh, on the leadership side, we do skip level meetings. I think that's that was some of the best internal comms that you're going to get is skip level meetings. People that, you know, you, and it's not necessarily to, to look for problems in, in your direct report, that person is reporting to you, but you'll largely get a different story, you know, from somebody that's telling you versus what they're, what they're telling their, their manager. Um, so skip level meetings are, have been huge for us also, and, and just understanding how people are feeling and that communications. Uh, and what about your role as a, as an external spokesperson and representative of the business? Is that something you enjoy doing? I mean, obviously we appreciate you coming on to, to this podcast today, but I mean, I'm guessing you're having to do more and more of that. How do you view that? And, and is there anything that you've learned, you know, along the way? I mean, it's, it's always going to be super important. I, I think, especially when, you know, you're in an industry like ours, like where it's, it's a very competitive industry, um, you have to have some differentiation. And I think ex- externally is, is the easiest way to, to do that. So it's not just it's not just me, but it's the branding, it's the content that we create, it's it's that organic content, that organic following, that community. A lot of that stuff plays into this. And certainly, you know, you need somebody that is the spokesperson for that. And I fortunately have always had this this vision to what we're doing. And I also I'm the product person, right? I'm still I am CEO during the day, but my nights and weekends are head of product. And so I'm very, very obsessed with our product and obsessed with with our customers and creating that best possible user experience that that we can create. So I think that that largely benefits us for, for me being that, that natural spokesperson and and the representative of the business. And um, I, I mean, I think you come across obviously very um, passionate and authentic. So I, th- I think that's very powerful. But have you have you always been a natural communicator, or have you had moments where you've had to take stock and think about? how you might become even better? Communications, I think, has, in general, has been learned for me. I would be more on the introvert side and more on the shy side if you if you saw me as, as a kid and growing up. And so I have thrown myself into these positions and you grow from it, you learn from it, and it becomes more, more comfortable as you do it more. Naturally, it, it sounds so easy. It's such a simple thing, but that is the truth. It just becomes easier as you're doing it more. I also will say, you know, it's it's much easier when you are being authentic, right? When you're talking about stuff that you truly believe in, and you're not just like you know thinking about talking points or or reading things from from your PR people, it's it's much more powerful and it's much much easier to do when when it's real. And so I, I largely think you know that communications to be exceptional, especially as like that spokesperson, like you got to really believe in what you're doing and and largely be able to to get that passion across. And along the way, what would you say? I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be with ClickUp, but 
What's been the biggest communications challenge you've personally experienced and, and how did you overcome it? There's always challenges with, I think early on, especially um, communicating your vision and, and really like it's in your head. And, and, and by the way, your vision doesn't have to be just the CEO or just the founder that's doing this. I mean, you can have a vision if you're an architect, if you're a principal architect, if you're an engineer, if you're a marketing person, right? All of those things go into vision. I think people always assume that everyone knows what's inside of their head when, when they don't. And that's been a big learning lesson for me is, is I early on and, and probably still a little bit too much is, is I assume everyone like knows our vision. Everyone knows exactly what I'm thinking in my head and, and everyone is, is on the same page there. You can never assume that. And I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned also is, is just repeat yourself, like repeat yourself over and over and over again. It doesn't matter if you repeat yourself, that, that's okay to, to repeat. Um, even if it's the same employee that you're talking to, just reiterating that makes it real. And the reality is you can never remember how many times you've told somebody something. So if you repeat it, there is, there's no downside to doing that. You're going you're gonna to be able to get your vision across much more. And again, that goes for, for everyone, not just the, the founders of the company. If you have you know, a creative vision or a marketing vision, you should continue reiterating that and repeating it as, as much as possible to drill it in. Yeah, I definitely second that one. Um, and maybe putting sort of communications to one side for a minute. Have you made any kind of like big mistakes along your entrepreneurial journey that you look back on that you kind of had to tidy up or not? I mean, totally. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's very appreciated to talk about mistakes and failure and stuff like that. But I mean, look, I do I do firmly believe like everything happens for a reason. And when you fail, you just you learn from it and, and you move on. And so while I don't like necessarily have regrets about about the failures, because if I had changed something, like I wouldn't be in the same position today. Like literally, you, you would have changed your path completely if you hadn't made that mistake. I think there are certainly some some things, some lessons that I learned a little bit later. I, I think just recently in ClickUp, you know, some things you don't focus on when you're building a business are more of the boring things like legal, HR. Those types of things are very important in a scaling business. And so I think that's a big, a big lesson that we learned is we, we need that. And, and you know, fortunately, we, we, we've built those teams now, but, but we didn't have them early on. I think management, finding great managers as, as you're scaling also. I mean, you cannot hire people yourself when you scale. You have to find other people that are great at hiring and, and that you trust to hire in order, in order to scale. That was a huge lesson for me and a huge mistake early on is I was still trying to hire everybody and, and that just, that sim- simply didn't work. I mean, yeah, I'm like, I, I've got, uh, you know, thousands of, of those, those failure stories and, and those mistake stories. Uh, but again, it's, it's something where, you know, you, you just got to continue, continue keeping on. Zeb, I've got, I've got to ask you this. I should just explain, we're recording this towards the end of July and we're connected on LinkedIn, which we, which we did before, you know, setting up this interview. And then last weekend on my LinkedIn feed, I see this picture of you sat with Richard Branson and, uh, and you're saying, you know, you've just spent the previous few days with him. You described him as the most influential, uh, your most influential entrepreneur um, idol. It's, come on, I, I've got to ask, what, you know, Tell us what what you were discussing over those few days, if if possible. <laughs> you know, I the, the first couple of questions I asked him was, and, and by the way, we were supposed to just very a very brief meeting, right? Of him meeting me and and several other people, several other guests there. And I asked him a couple of questions at first, and he said he looked at me at the first the first question I asked him was like, "How do you hire people, specifically leaders? Like, what do you look for in leaders?" And he just looked at me and he was like, I need to go talk to other people now. And I was like, damn, like, you know, I asked him, I was too hard out of the gate. Well, then he came back and we literally sat there. We talked for six hours, six hours straight. We just, we just talked. And so there was when we connected and made a really great relationship. So he, he certainly answered the hiring question and he, he really answered it more culturally, like hire the right people for your culture, which, which is very important because 
you can hire, and you're, you're going to hear this as you grow companies, is you need to hire experienced people, and hire experienced people, hire experienced people. It's true to some extent, but you've got to still, you don't just hire for the experience. You've got to hire people that also match your culture. Otherwise, it's going to be a misfit in, in, in the company. The other question I ask is, yeah, I've been a serial entrepreneur. He is a serial entrepreneur. How do you know when it's right to focus your time on other things? And how can you focus your time on other things? And his answer was like, Zeb, you have to figure out how not to work. And whatever you're doing, always the goal should be figuring out how not to do it. And so do it and then figure out how not to do it. And so that was really good good advice for me um, because I think especially as, as a founder and as an entrepreneur, you always try to do everything. And even as you scale, you know, there's there's lots of things that I could I could let go of, of right now. But I learned so many less lessons from him. He's just as genuine in person as you would you would imagine. I, I might have to steal some of your questions for our future podcasts. But what, <laughs> what, what, why did you say he was such an influence on you though what what was it i mean cuz cuz quite often you know people say never meet your heroes kind of thing what what was it that that stood out for him that was such an influence there's a lot of examples of really exceptional entrepreneurs right everybody looks up to people like steve jobs and elon musk and these people largely did business right right they they created exceptional businesses and have a huge 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 shift in, in the world, right? They're changing the world, as cliche as it sounds. Like they, they did that. Richard Branson certainly did that, unarguably did that. But he also is an example of doing everything else right, right? He has ex- an amazing family. Um, Holly and Sam, his kids, kids are incredible. So amazing family, but also he treats employees right, right? They have some of the highest employee satisfaction ratings of, of any businesses. When you look at airlines, like at train companies, all of the stuff that he, he's in, extremely high um, satisfaction ratings and NPS from employees but also from customers, right? They treat customers right. Virgin experiences in many are next to none, right? They're the best customer experience that you'll have, let's say in an airline, or let's say when, when they have their stores, you always have that exceptional customer experience. And he's been able to have fun, right? He's been able to create joy and, and really, really have fun in what he's doing and broadcast to that work, to the world that. So it doesn't have to be all about business. It doesn't have to be, you know, 100% of, of your time dedicated to, to work. Like you need to have some balance. Now it, it cha- changes as you go, right? We're not, we're, I'm, I'm not right now in, in work-life balance mode, but I will be in sometime in the future. And it's a great example of somebody like Branson that, that did that well. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, listen, we've got one final question for you. And we've asked all our um, unicorn leaders this in, in this series. If you were to go back in time and speak to your old self, what guidance would you give about communications and what steps would you encourage yourself to take in order for you and your business to excel in communications? I, I think it goes back to just repeating yourself. I think that, that's probably the that best guidance I would give myself early on is instead of saying something one time, even in front of 10 people, and assuming that a year later, those 10, 10 people still still know that, don't assume and just, just completely repeat, 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 especially in your vision, especially in your core values. Things like urgency is, is huge for us. And so we always drive that home. I mean, communications at, at the end of the day is exactly what people think. Like they, they, you don't know what somebody else thinks until they communicate that to you. It seems so simple, but that means that if you really want somebody to know what you're thinking, you've got to over-communicate. You've got to repeat yourself. Zeb Evans, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. It's been absolutely brilliant. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, Brendan, he's so passionate and talks so quickly. Uh, what, what did you think on what Zeb had to say? Yeah, like you say, you can't help but really get excited about his business because given all of that passion, um, I think kind of like two things that I really took away from that, uh, which kind of really resonated with me. The first one was the importance of repeating 
what is important to you and your business and going over and over things, even when you think you've already kind of said it too much, because people have such noisy lives that that if you want employees to be carry a message for you, it's really crucial that you repeat yourself over and over again to the point that actually you probably start driving yourself mad. So that kind of really resonated with me. And then and then the other point which I thought was interesting is just how at the beginning it's really important to click up that they built the brand and the business around organic interest in the business. And that in order to do that, it's crucial that you know your brand and your communications is set up in such a way that it's kind of stands out you know so your identity stands out your messages stand out because if you do that then those kind of things they travel they're like torpedoes gliding through the water as opposed to something much less fast and sleek so i think those two things i thought really resonated with me and and they're kind of valuable lessons for any kind of leader yeah um now before we um finish off this episode i need to ask you about the the ebook that uh, taito has launched off the back of this this series that we've been recording together which is um about 18 months now i think we've been going mm. tell us a little bit more about about what you've uh, you've put together then well i mean i guess it kind of builds on the general inspiration behind this series which is that we you know wanted to give something back to the tech industry, which obviously is kind of, we're partners in, in with the tech industry in terms of doing uh, public relations and communications. And, you know, one of the gaps that we identified was that founders and leaders within the tech sector have incredible support networks around them. But one of the gaps is, you know, there's not really a great deal out there for aspiring leaders in terms of how they can hone their, their communication skills in such a way to kind of hopefully fast track their careers and and become even greater greater leaders. And so I guess that was the inspiration behind the podcast series that we're doing together. And then, you know, off the back of the first 15 interviews we've done that have been really positively received, we realized that not everyone necessarily has time for all these all those podcasts. So what we've done is we've kind of consolidated the greatest hits, the best of those podcasts into an ebook, which we're calling Growing Without Borders, the Unicorn CEO Guides Communication Culture. And that really, for, for anyone, any leader or aspiring leader that wants to kind of really pick up the greatest hits of communications and cultural advice from these 15 incredible leaders that we've interviewed, this is the place to go to. And, and then, you know, down the track, as we kind of conduct more of these interviews, we'll have a, the second edition. And that's available, I assume, on the website? Correct, yes. Fantastic. I look forward to that. That's going to be uh, it's going to be very interesting to read back and and, and see some of those highlights. Um, for now, that's that's it for this latest episode. Just a reminder: if you want to find out more about ClickUp, then their website is clickup.com. Um, obviously, we'd love to hear any comments that you've got on today's uh, conversation. You can share them on our Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter feeds, or in the comments of the YouTube version of this podcast. And those are all linked from the top of the website at csweetpodcast.com. You'll also find all our previous shows and supporting show notes plus links to where you can follow us for automatic downloads of each episode via the likes of Spotify and Apple. And if you like what you heard, please do give us a positive rating and review. We're, of course, available on all podcast apps. Just search for the C-Suite podcast and hit follow or subscribe. And, of course, you can subscribe to the Without Borders podcast from our partners at Taito, and all the details for that are on the website. So just head to taitopr.com, click on the uh, podcast link in the uh, top nav bar. And obviously, as Brendan just mentioned, um, you can download your copy of Growing 
Without Borders, the Unicorn CEO Guide to Communication and Culture. And you can get that from the website too. If you are a unicorn leader yourself and you'd like to be part of this series, please do get in touch via the contact form on the website at csweetpodcast.com. Uh, plus, of course, anyone can get in touch with any feedback you may have. And finally, if you want to reach me, you can do that via Twitter using at Russ Goldsmith or you can find me on LinkedIn. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. Thank you.